0: Alright, we're in. Um, I guess I will do the introductions this time, because you always do them. This is Campbell from Unbroken Performance, he's awesome, uh, associated with Cave for Ages, and I am Thomas, uh, owner of Cave, and uh, nice up and other and other things we do things. Mm. How are you going?
1: I'm going good, uh, we obviously had, again, a few difficulties, it's just <laughs> yeah. one of those days, but uh, we're trudging through, so can't complain. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, well, in the nature of uh, jumping into it, I guess you had some questions you wanted to run by me, um, mm-hmm. and I think I've got some that I could run by on the same nature first, um, and so we'll feed in. You just started coaching OJ, mm-hmm. um, our very own stim junkie, and uh, house, and well, like frankly. He knows all our pre's really well, works in the cave. Great. Um, you're working on his nutrition plan first, is that correct? Mm,
1: yep, that's correct.
0: Are you doing anything on his training programming?
1: Not as of yet. We did ha- have a little chat about that and hash into a few things. Um, but yeah, just the nutrition at the moment.
0: Yeah. Um. So then when you saw his nutrition, so OJ's like, you, you could say probably in a bro... Nature, uh, he's, he's been looking at nutrition for a while and has been thinking about it and what he's been doing has worked to some extent for sure. As you can see based on physique, um, there's probably some age factors in there too. When you discussed what he was initially doing and then what you're going to change, what were those, like, low-hanging fruit that you're like, ah, mm. oh, yeah, we can just jump in right here and we can solve these things. Um If you like, it doesn't need to be specifically about OJ. It could be mm. a general client thing. Uh, but I'm fairly confident OJ won't care if we talk about him.
1: Mm. No, so we'll, we'll talk about him specifically just because I guess he's a good case study. So he's a, he's a young male who's obviously an avid uh, weightlifter, Um and he's trying to get bigger and he's trying to get stronger and his supplementation's on on point. And I would preface this with saying that his effort and his adherence to his eating and his nutrition is very good. But after we had a talk and had an initial consult, I straight away identified some like really big holes or areas he could immediately improve to reap a lot of benefit. The main thing was uh, he was definitely under eating his calories were way lower than they should have probably or needed to be um, Mm -hmm. which I thought was surprising Mm -hmm. knowing how hard he trains I expected him to be eating a little bit more food Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing and they kind of go hand in hand but his meal frequency was very low I think he only eats four times a day sometimes three Um, Mm -hmm. and to me for his level of training and what he's trying to achieve that's just It's not often enough. He's going sometimes four hours without eating, four and a half hours without eating, and that's kind of too long, you know?
0: So talk to me about uh, the meal frequency side when you see Mm. someone training intense, and uh, we should probably specify his goals at the moment. How would you Mm. describe his goal structure?
1: He's trying to build muscle tissue, and he's trying to get stronger.
0: And his sort of
1: training, how would you describe that? So uh, basically just hypertrophy, resistance training, a little bit of low-intensity cardio that's a little bit staggered throughout the week. It's not super consistent. Um, And he's training quite high volume.
0: Yeah. Uh, Did he discuss how long he's actually in there?
1: Yeah, I can't remember exactly how he said. I usually am not too worried about the duration. It's more the actual amount of volume. Um, yep. And I would be assuming he's in the gym for quite a long time based on <laughs> the amount of volume he relayed to me. Yeah, um, and that's probably the first thing identified in terms of his training is he's probably doing more volume than he needs to.
0: Yeah. Um. For the record, the boy did just get back. Yeah. He's meant to be asleep <laughs> right now. Um,
1: so that's our fault because we were mucking around. Yeah, at the start, yeah Trying yeah. to get
0: organised. That's fine. Um. Uh. So on that Yeah, he's he's in there often over two hours, two and a half, um or longer, depending on what pre he's running or the combo. I know he's doing some really long sessions recently. He's been using the maximize alongside his breeze and that mm-hmm. kinda kicks him up well and certainly prolongs the stimulation. Um would you say that sort of volume
1: uh is
0: like that's creating a challenge for him um Mm -hmm. and his hypertrophy goals
1: yeah well the the it's not necessarily wrong to train high volume but to me and i explained to him i've learned this the hard way because when i first started training the first few years i was an extremely high volume trainer um and the problem with it is is that you're just going to set a very small ceiling on your progression if all you're trying to do is add more volume all the time it's a lot harder to progress that and actually measure it as well. And for example, he was telling me, you know, he can do eight, nine, 10 exercises a session, and he's doing four sets to what he is perceiving as failure each exercise. So he could be doing 36 sets to failure a session, right? (laughs) And, 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 And he's obviously going to go gonna the 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 way that breaks down though is for the first session or two or even for a, a few weeks on end or months on end you might get away with that your food might be quite good your supplementation might be on point and you might be progressing some of your lifts a little bit but at some point you're not going to be able to just continue to progress progress because you're guesstimating in a sense yeah For example, like I explained to him now, and this is just from what I've learned, when I go in the gym, I usually have no more than six, maybe seven exercises. And all those exercises, I usually just do one set for. And when I say one set, I mean one proper working set. And maybe a few of those exercises, I might have one back off. So in a a session, I might have six exercises. I'm doing one set for three of them, two sets for three. So... I might be doing 9, tens, 10 sets max a session. Working sets.
0: Yeah.
1: As, as If me and OJ are training week by week alongside each other, there's no way he's going to be able to continue to progress his lifts at the same rate as me. Because I'm putting all my effort and energy into this one set over 6 or 7 exercises, sometimes having to back off. He's doing thirty six sets
0: yeah. a session.
1: Yeah. And 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 it doesn't always mean do as little as possible, but you do want to do as little as possible to get the desired result. Because at the end of the day, training is creating the stimulus to grow. It's not necessarily the growth. You create the stimulus with training and then food, rest, recovery, sleep, that creates the growth. And I kinda equate it to training is kind of like digging a hole in the ground and then you're going to go and fill that that hole in the ground up with soil and it's going to grow fruit or vegetables or produce right Mm. we do not want to dig a hole so big that we can't actually even get back out of because then we're not going to be able to fill it in and and make grow produce right and so we don't necessarily always just want to do less and less, but we want to do as less as possible to get the result. At the moment, OJ is doing way more than he needs to. And he would find it far easier to progress his lifts, create a novel stimulus. And what I mean by novel is like a never before felt, a new stimulus basically, and adapt to that and then progress. Because that's, I think everyone gets real overcomplicated about what like resistance training is and how you build tissue. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. You use the resistance and the movements and the exercises to create, like I said, a novel stimulus that you've never felt before. Your body then adapts to that, it breaks the tissue down and then you recover from that stimulus that you've never felt before through rest, food, sleep, and then you grow stronger, bigger, etc. So you create the stimulus, recover from the stimulus and progress. You can't just go in the gym every time and do exactly the same thing. And you also can't go in the gym every time and do just willy nilly completely different because then you've got no gauge of the stimulus you're creating. And if you've progressed that. Yeah. And like a lot of people, probably most people, OJ's in the spot where he's guessing, yeah. you know, on a couple exercises, he might be like, Hey, why well, used to do 60 kgs for 10 reps on dumbbell RDLs now I can do 65 for 10. But if you asked him, he probably wouldn't know what specific time period that was over. He's probably like, oh, two months ago. When, how, like he, yeah. he wouldn't probably know. And also, like, what are all his other exercises look like? Has he progressed all of those?
0: Yeah, that's, that's where I would say is that uh, looking at that, say if you're doing a massive training session with high volume, uh, progressing like one day you might get a progression on that exercise, Mm -hmm. but then what happens with your other exercises because you're doing that massive volume, Mm -hmm. uh, does that, is that, that it it would encourage the guessing because you'll get more variation because you'll have days where one exercise progresses at the cost of all these other ones, because you've done that exercise at such high volume Mm -hmm. that you're, you're digging that hole too deep or over fatiguing would is that mm-hmm. an all right train of thought
1: yeah i think like even more simple than that when you're you just you're spinning your wheels because you just mm. don't know you know like yeah you don't know and again like he's doing force four sets to what he perceives as failure he might even progress the lift on one of those sets but what are those other three sets looking like so him? So he might get a five kilogram increase on a top set of like a dumbbell RDL, but that could be his first set, and then if the three other sets after that, he's fatiguing even more because he's a bit overtrained. He's more fatigued. Then he's not really progressing the lift, you know. So it's just when and- you're guessing and it's and you're doing all this volume, you end up just spinning your wheels a lot of the time.
0: So from that, would you say uh, encouraging, it's not like we're saying well, we, you, I'm not chipping on this, I'm Mm -hmm. not pretending to have expertise here, Um, but it's not like you're saying training till failure is wrong Uh, it's it's more that there needs to be a little bit more structure around it, Mm -hmm. and perhaps lower volume than extremely high volume is intelligent
1: Mm. Yeah, I think like pretty much everything having a plan is a very good idea um and even if that's just a rough structure because if you don't you do end up spinning your wheels and I think what's happened is people get in this big debate of like oh either train high volume and like more reps or lower volume and higher intensity but that's to me you're limiting yourself like I have a clear system of what I'm trying to do and I'm not pro or anti high volume or low volume what i do is i try and pick the best exercises i think are relative towards my goal or my client's goal so i'll give you a, a, a rundown a real clear rundown of how i pretty much structure programming for myself or other people
0: yes shoot sure.
1: i'd love to hear I, Yeah, okay so i figure out exactly what that person wants to achieve do they want to build muscle tissue do they want to get stronger do they want to do both do they want to improve their body composition? Do they want to get more powerful uh, and explosive for a sport? I define that goal and figure out the objective. Then what I do is I have my best stab at picking the best exercises relative to that person, uh, the objective, their goal, and maybe like the what injuries they may have or, or other parts of that puzzle. So I have my best stab at picking the exercises I think are best for them. I then give them instructions or will basically vet myself on how I'm going to execute those movements. So things like tempo, the range, variations of certain exercises. So for example, if I'm going to give someone a squat, is it better that it's anterior loaded and it's going to challenge their core and a bit less stress on their spine if they might've had a back issue. So I pick the best exercises. I then give clear direction on how I'm going to execute those exercises. Then I basically go and perform those exercises, I record my numbers, my weights and reps on the top sets for those exercises, and then the next week when I go to do that same session, all I'm simply trying to do is create a novel stimulus, and I do that by trying to increase those lifts by either taking an extra rep or adding an extra kilo. Okay. Because if I know that I do those same movements and perform them to the same high standard, but I add a rep, so I've done more volume, or I increase the load, even if it's a kilo, added more resistance, I've progressed that lift. There's no and, ifs or buts about it, you know?
0: And in what situation would you choose to add a rep versus adding a kilo?
1: Mm. Uh, so it would it could probably depend on the rep range. So everyone, you would have heard this heaps, right? Everyone said, oh, what's the optimal rep range to build muscle? Is it five to eight? Is it uh, 10 to 12? Is it 15 to 20? And my answer to that now, after all the years of training I've done, is it's none of them. And we actually want to get strong in all rep ranges. Yep. I want to get strong in five to eight, I want to get strong in ten to twelve, and I want to be strong in fifteen to twenty, and sometimes even a little bit higher than that. So, just, so your, feeding, oh so, yeah.
0: Uh, just feeding directly off that though. So that's for strength goal. What about in the case of bodybuilding goal, where the goal is not actually strength, it is um, add development of tissue for aesthetic purposes.
1: It's probably the same. I would say. Yeah. Okay. Because at the end of the, so it depends what stage you're at, but for the most part, a bigger uh, bigger muscle is a stronger muscle. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're an advanced athlete and you're trying to add a little bit more detail to a certain muscle group, that's maybe a different conversation. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people think they're in that boat and they're not. They Mm -hmm. actually just need to get, add more tissue and get stronger, you know? Yeah. Um, again, people start to overcomplicate it and they yeah. think I've got to increase volume or do a bunch of drop sets for my biceps because it needs more of a peak. And it's like, no, no, you probably just need more muscle tissue everywhere. You know? Yeah.
0: And, I think I saw a good Dorian Yates type line of essentially as Dorian Yates may be talking to another um, bigger bodybuilder, but the encouragement was uh, for the first like five years, even like even longer for many bodybuilders careers all they really should be focusing on is building those muscle groups Mm. bigger and then once you've got that overall large bulkier structure Mm. then you can start chiseling down at things um Mm. rather than trying to chisel at f all
1: Mm. yeah for sure and i think again it's just a lot of people and this is what i said right at the start it's super important to actually identify what you're trying to achieve, figure out the objective clearly, and then make a plan based on that. Because for a lot of, for example, a lot of people are getting into bodybuilding and that's awesome. And their goal is to get bigger and stronger. But then they don't actually structure their training around that. They'll just see something someone else did that looked good or looked like it worked good. And that actually might be awesome for that person. But that's not, that's not them, you know, that's probably maybe not what they require at that point in time. And just like anything, like business, any sporting endeavour, any academic endeavour, it really pays off to have a plan and have have a plan of attack and know yes. how you're going to go about that. Because even if you have all the effort in the world, all the drive in the world or the discipline in the world, we want to be resourceful with I guess our, our energy and our resources, you know, you want to make the most of what you have available. And if you simply just put the foot down and give your very best with no clear direction and you don't care about being efficient and you don't care about basically making the most of what you've been given, you yeah. end up conky now. Yep. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's, uh, if you don't factor in for recovery periods for whatever development it is, then, at some point your body is going to decide for you is kind of the way I view it. Mm. Um, And I've definitely, on the personal side, I definitely push it too far often and my body ends up deciding for me. But um, it's just, if you plan for it, then you can do a better job of it, I guess Mm -hmm. is my mentality around it. Um, I think that does feed in well. So looking, so that was talking about the... Volume and mm. and just kind of general training approach to how I think we one might thing I solve like to, some of
1: yeah one thing I would like to touch on with his training is we did talk about um his exercise execution so I think for him in particular his effort and intensity is great yeah his volume is very high that might not necessarily be a massive detriment now but it's definitely something I would look to refine but the, I think the other thing I touched on with him that is his biggest area to improve is his exercise execution, the way he's performing his exercises and his exercise selection. I think he could be doing far better exercises or far more effective exercises compared to what his current, I guess, selection is. And how he executes those exercises could probably be better too. For example, uh, his pressing... So like he's doing a bit of flat bench uh, on his lower mm-hmm. body training. I know he loves using that seated hack squat. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of those machines or variations for him in particular. I'm not. I wouldn't be a big fan of. I just think there's other variations that are going to be a lot better bang for buck. So mm-hmm. I pretty much told him go away again. Vet your vet his exercise selection and try and swap in exercises that are a little bit more advantageous for what he's trying to achieve, mm-hmm. and then. In terms of his execution, I talked to him specifically about his pressing. His pressing, he's, on a lot of his movements, he's quite fled with his elbows, um, and his range is a little bit short on a lot of his pressing. He presses with quite a high incline, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of those things are very common, but often equate to shoulder problems and also not getting actually much chest development. Because you're not really, especially in like a barbell, you're not shortening the pick. You're not putting a lot of stress on the pick. Like you might get a lot of shoulder and tricep development um, and get stronger. But in terms of developing the pick, there's again, better exercises he could be doing. And he could probably execute them with a little bit, probably bigger range and a little bit more control. Mm. I kind of briefly explained to him about the phases of the rep, so you have your eccentric and your concentric. The eccentric is a stronger phase of the rep. So what I told him is that when he's kind of just rushing through each phase of the rep at the same tempo, his concentric kind of fails when there's still a little bit more strength left in the eccentric. So that's why people, I guess, tailor their tempo work to whatever their training objective is or they adjust it or play around with it. And I encourage them to... I guess, milk the eccentric a little bit more, slow it down, have control of of the the resistance and, and figure out where his range actually is, because I think he's cutting himself short on his pressing, if that makes yeah. sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think that's also a classic. Uh, I can directly relate that to when I was his age, doing probably at a similar, I'd been lifting a similar number of years different backgrounds i came from very skinny boy to at that point was still fairly skinny but uh actually did have some tissue on my chest and shoulders at that point oh. my shoulders were proportionally overdeveloped and were creating issues directly in what you're talking about it's kind of funny as oh. you're talking about those elbows flaring and the shoulders playing in too much role that is I I could relate that to so many of my friends and myself. It feels like one of the most common, uh, bro lifting, um, mistakes out. Would you kind of agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is then you go and combine that with, uh... Our lifestyles for most people, whether you're sitting at a desk, whether you're in a lecture theatre, um, you're hunched over, you're at your laptop, there's a lot of internal rotation at the shoulders. Yeah. And then a lot of people, when they're training as well, one thing, they're not actually training their, I guess their upper posterior directly. They might be doing some rows, but like they're not really getting the proper posterior work. Or they might be jumping in a reverse peptic and doing a few sets at the end of a shoulder session, but they're certainly not getting any growth and development and the red delt and the upper posterior. Um, and then the amount of volume. So for OJ, for instance, he's doing a lot of pressing volume, a lot of internal rotation and not much of the, the upper posterior, but he's also, again, his exercise selection is, isn't super advantageous for his shoulder joint. Um, and, and I'm not saying that bench pressing is not going to elicit any like pec growth or shoulder yeah. growth, but what i would say is you want to think about the risk reward ratio and bang for buck from an exercise because they're not all equal um and i personally especially in my older years or old age i would much rather extreme an exercise.
0: old age yeah sorry carry on yeah
1: i would much rather an exercise that's going to do elicit more stress on the muscle group i want and be healthier on the mobility of the joint of that muscle group group so for example i use gymnastic rings usually at the start of my chest sessions and i do press-ups on the gymnastic rings that exercise and it looks some it's just a press-up on gymnastic rings like it's pretty yeah. standard yeah in terms of actually stress on my pec muscles is one of the probably the most ruthless exercise yeah. I've ever felt on my, my pecs. They yeah. they honestly feel like they're ripping yeah, five yeah, or yeah. six reps in, um, and but it's super nice on my shoulders, my wrists, and my elbows. It challenges them to be stable and, and it, it strengthens them to be stronger. And the good thing is, is not only is that movement great, but doing that movement it transfers positively over into my other pressing. Mm. So when I go and do a plate-loaded machine press or I go and do a low incline dumbbell press, my joints feel a lot stronger and a lot more stable and my shoulders are healthier, and it just makes it easier to progress those other lifts anyway. But, again, like supplements, I always say this to people about supplements, you have to have some method to your madness, and it's the same with your exercises as well don't just if you really want to progress then you need to have some method to your madness if you just want to have fun and you don't care go for it do what you want yeah if you do want to progress put some thought into your exercise selection you know
0: yeah would you say because you you actually share quite a lot of more novel exercise variations that are usually the standard exercise Mm. with some small manipulation that might encourage more control um When you're sharing all those, someone might think, "Ah, man, Campbell is doing all this crazy shit all the time. You're probably Mm. just doing one or two of those a session. Is that correct? And then otherwise you're more generally into Mm. more common movements.
1: Mm. So my sessions are obviously predicated on what I'm trying to achieve, but I used to be like most people where I just roll in the gym, uh, I roll into my first exercise, jump on the bench. I might have done a few rotator cuff flies with a weight plate, which does nothing, by the way, just in case anyone does that. It doesn't do anything. Um, And I just roll straight into my first exercise, bang it out, and then, like, my shoulder goes, you know. So now I do, I start my sessions with some priming movements. And when I say priming movements, I mean, I guess... uh, mobility or, or dynamic stretches or uh, movements that are going to challenge the joints that are relative to what I'm going to train. So again, yeah. I don't just pick like random primer exercises. I pick the ones I actually feel mobilize my joint the best heading into the session. And that comes over time with trial and error. And so like some primer exercises I've been doing consistently for a couple years, some I've only been doing for a couple of weeks because other ones I didn't like and I swapped them out. So the, the amount of primers I do, I, I don't want it to be strenuous. I don't want it to take away from my session. Um, but uh, what I'm trying to do is basically prime myself for the coming exercises. Usually I'll do some of those and then I'll also do some abdominal work. So I think three out of the five sessions I do I do some abdominal work. I probably go a little bit higher volume with the abdominal work just because it was a weakness for me in the past and it's something I really am trying to improve. Um, But for instance, for my clients, I'll usually instruct them to do two specific primer movements and three to four uh, abdominal exercises and then crack into their session. That's probably quite uncommon, but it's just because... Uh some reoccurring, pro- reoccurring problems I see with any everyone are like the same sort of injuries and weak core which often is a, res- is a cause of those injuries so yeah. I kind of try and problem solve and prime those two things and then we can crack into our session and really get after it you know yeah
0: yeah so you're trying to get ahead of the issue for the general person even if they don't have mm-hmm. those injuries currently you're trying to tackle it before it becomes a problem
1: yeah, and so I guess I'm, yeah. I, maybe I'm trying to prevent injuries, but also I'm actually just trying to get the most out of the session, because yeah. this happens so much, I I probably had like two or three people in the last few days just messaging me about this, but it's like, oh, my shoulder hurts and I can't press. Hmm. Well, you're certainly not going to be progressing your lifts and getting more chest and shoulder yeah. and tricep development if your shoulders are, are stuffed, you yeah. know? Yeah. So we've got to make sure that that's you, your shoulders are mobile enough to actually progress your pressing. Yeah. Because if they're not, we're not moving anyway, you know?
0: Yeah, so injury prevention. And this this is actually something I, uh, I had a little, not a rant, but a little statement to say um, today just on our general media is so much of that long-term performance that people are going for. It, it is also just about preventing damage and injuries that will, that will stop you from reaching or continuing to push yourself. So if you just blast it and then injure yourself, you're going to be way, way worse off than,
1: um, another,
0: just, just if, if you're Mm. more sensible about it.
1: Yeah. I think even Um, like, uh, it doesn't, it's not even necessarily about preventing the exercises or preventing injuries. I think it's just more being as strong and mobile for the exercises you're going to do anyway. And like, I'll give you an example. As like I said before, most people roll into the gym first time, jump straight on the bench press. And I did this as well. I remember, I remember when I must've been like 16 and I went into the high school gym with my mate and we just went straight on the bench and we had, I think 10 kilos a side and we yeah. just did as many sets as we could and as many like reps as we could. And I went home that weekend and I thought, I I genuinely thought something was, I obviously pulled my pecs,
0: but it was so
1: painful. I thought something was, I thought I'd done something wrong. Like my, I don't, I thought my lungs or my rib cage or something was in trouble, was severe. But now my brother, he works at, um, back at our old high school and what they do now is they pretty much implement a plan right from when someone arrives as a year nine, right through to they, I guess, compete in their last year of a sport as a year 13. In the first two years, I believe, they don't even get them doing any like uh, training with a barbell or really any heavy resistance loaded training. They're doing a lot of primal movements, a lot of work with the gymnastic rings, a lot of abdominal work, a lot of agility work, learning how to jump and land, learning how to change direction, all those sorts of things that sound really simple, but I've seen this as well. Most of the time when I get people to jump or do a hop in the gym, Mm. they just land without any conscious effort. It hurts their joints, it hurts their knees. Often that's how injuries happen. And I think again it's not just about preventing injuries it's about setting yourself up to reap the most reward from your training
0: yeah so yeah i could probably fit in that my thoughts on that is it feels like we have made a lot of progress in probably the last 20 30 years in really understanding how to put on muscle tissue and get that growth hmm. but a lot of what is still missing is Essentially, basic mobility and looking after um, our body in the ways that it wants to work, so mm. that um, so that you can run and jump and do lunges and stuff like that without feeling like it's like that those movements should be natural that is mm. what our body is made to do um, whereas you could say, and some people might argue to what limits, but our bodies certainly weren't designed to carry the amount of muscle tissue that the olympias are mm. doing um that's why we have peds uh mm. for better or worse but the actually being able to move around we could for sure say like that should be looked after mm. because that is that is what our body um is designed if designed mm. you could say um natural selected for or
1: whatever mm. um, so even that you're dead right on what you're saying so if you want Uh, longevity and a higher quality of life and you want to be able to move well and um, be around for your kids obviously this stuff is all relevant to that and you should be doing that but even on the other end of the spectrum and let's take a powerlifter because in their sport they have to barbell conventional deadlift barbell back squat and barbell bench press right if I'm just in the gym trying to build tissue I don't have to do those exercises where if I'm a powerlifter lifter I do have to do those exercises so to me it would even become more important to I'm sure to ensure I'm doing the exercises and doing my due diligence to make sure I can actually have longevity in my sport and I can't just train for a couple of years and then conk out and not yeah. be able to progress forward and so it's even more important if you're just trying to be the best athlete in a given sport or get the most results you know
0: yeah Yeah. So basically train other, uh, functions and focus on mobility work as well. Mm. And then complements into any sport, uh, for the longevity to allow you to continue doing that extreme high end strength Mm. or, or muscle tissue development that you need.
1: Mm. Or I think again, going back to what I said before is, you know, what's your objective, let's Mm. say like, if you're trying to be the best powerlifter in your weight division in the country. The, the things that come along with that, you're obviously going to implement. And and again, when you know your objective, when you know your plan, you're going to accept that you need to do those things, that you need to do mobility work, that you need to have a, a physio, that you need to supplement correctly. You know, if you don't have a clear objective, if you're like, oh, I just want to get better at powerlifting, I do want to do really well, but I'm not even sure, I might want to be the best in New Zealand, I don't know. You're probably not going to do the mobility work. You're certainly not going to look into supplements that are going to help you. You're not going to take that time and effort. You're just going to wing it. You're going to roll in after a big day at work, straight into the squat rack, hammer away. And you might get away with that for a little bit. But sooner or later,
0: yeah, shit's going to hit are gonna the fan. Break down. Yeah. yeah. And and it, even if physically you don't break down, just mentally, like, you, you know. Mm-hmm again circling back to there's no calculated overload and you know like mm-hmm. if you shouldn't blind you have no feedback no iterative response mm-hmm. then how are you supposed to feel like you're going anywhere yeah um and i think that's a big thing like the psychological aspect of feeling like you're making progress mm-hmm. that that's gotta be rewarding mm-hmm. um well it is rewarding and you want to feed that into your system to to keep yourself going mm-hmm. um I'm going to go, that was actually exactly, I'm glad we dived in uh, on that OJ example. I knew mm. I could get that out of you. Uh, circling onto the food now. Mm. Um, so, he's having three meals. Let, let's use an example. Like four, three meals, sometimes or four, three. Four. Yeah. So, um, when you say that you want more regularity of food inputs. So use an example of like, it might be four hours between a meal. Mm. Why is that significant? And, uh, what are you trying to encourage by having more Mm. or more frequency?
1: So on the surface, it's actually real simple. He just needs more calories. And if he keeps sticking to that amount of feedings a day, that's going to be really hard to do and four, sometimes three feedings to actually eat the amount of food he needs. Yeah, if he's growing and getting stronger and trained to a high standard, his energy demands and his recovery demands are gonna increase. So he's naturally gonna need more being put in, right? He's ne- yeah. he's naturally gonna need a larger intake. So if he just continually crams more into those four, sometimes three feedings,
0: yeah,
1: it's gonna be hard to do that. And one of the reasons it's going to be hard is, is digestion, you know, people for some reason think that just because you eat food, like put it down your throat and chew it, that automatically, you know, that's then done, you're just reaping the benefits. Yeah. Yeah. However, if you're bloating, if you get an upset stomach, if things aren't agreeing with you, it's not equal to if you're having really good digestion. You need to be able to digest those meals, digest those feedings. as as efficiently as possible so you can then absorb those nutrients and use them to recover, perform in the gym, etc. It is very hard once your meals start to get large to digest that amount of food really well and that is one thing I would say about fasting because I know a lot of people like to fast and again it's relative to what you are trying to achieve in your intake but if you're trying to perform in the gym, if you're trying to add muscle tissue, it's very hard cramming your calories into one section of the day. Yeah. Simply because it's going to be harder in your digestion. Um your blood sugar's going to be a lot more inconsistent throughout the day, and it's just gonna be it's just gonna be harder to do. It's gonna be harder to perform session to session and recover.
0: Yeah. And Yeah, yeah, so I suppose part of that goal is uh, allowing for lower volume meals to achieve the same calorie input. And, and
1: to do that, you need mm. higher frequency. It's, it's basic math flow. Um, and, I, and I think, sorry, just to be, the, the again, having a higher meal frequency, you're just going to be more satiated throughout the day, which likely means you're going to make smarter choices about your food. You know, if you have, Even a lot of people seem to skip breakfast and then as a result, they have a big lunch and then have an even massive dinner and then they have a bunch of snacks at night. And I always hear this. I always hear, oh, I've got a sweet tooth. Oh, I've got cravings. Oh, at night I can't help eating. Do you eat breakfast? Oh, no. I have a coffee. Well, no wonder you're hungry at night because you're not even eating the first half of the day. Like, of course you're going to have cravings at night. Of course you're going to want to eat something more than your what you thought was a sensible amount of dinner you're under eating your meal frequency is super low and then you go and exercise because you want to lose weight and so your energy demands go up and you're still not feeding in the first half of the day and you're still under eating in calories of course at the end of the day you're going to be like I'm hungry like it's it's real like there's a reason that's happening it's not a genetic thing 99% of the time you know and you could even
0: say, uh, if, if they know they're in that situation and they're dead serious that I am not going to eat breakfast, then do your meal prep for dinner mm. time so that you don't have, or for the evening time so that you mm. don't have shitty snacks so that you have the correct food. I, I, I'd say, obviously it's not the ideal situation and, uh, from, from digestion standpoint, you actually want to have meals at a good distance away from sleep. But if that person is going to be dead serious about not eating breakfast and they know that they're snacking in the evening, it's an easy fix too. Mm. like, just prepare that food and be ready for that Mm. craving because your body still needs that food. Mm.
1: I think Um, if you genuinely feel like fasting helps you feel better in your day to day and cognitively perform in your job then I would tell you to fast. But for the context of most people, they don't feel great. They're not happy with their body composition and their health and their frame of mind and they want to improve that.
0: Mm.
1: Got to you got to eat breakfast. you got to eat consistently and frequently. And, and the reason why I'm such a big believer in that for most people is this idea of just always eating less or eating as less as possible, like, it's not a great quality of life. And I'll give you a a good example of why that isn't. And it's, I I like to touch on this. Sometimes it's with weight loss surgeries and there's the, like the gastric bypass surgeries. and, And what they essentially do is they cut or remove a bit of your stomach. So that only a certain amount of food can fit through there. And then you're heavily calorie restricted and then you lose a bunch of weight. And that sounds, that sounds great. And you lose no, a bunch of, for the record, I yeah, think well, that sounds horrible, but someday, anyway, carry on. When, yeah. when people are desperate, what I just yeah. said sounds good to them, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, I think that is great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But what quality of life is that when you're like being a bigger person, you do like food, you then have to have an operation to force you to stop doing that. And then now you can only eat certain foods, you can only eat a very small amount of food, and that's all you can function on going forward. So, and I've literally, I've had several clients, and also people close to me, that I've had to try and problem solve this with, and it is much easier to problem solve a super obese person, who can exercise and eat plenty of good food, than someone who's heavily calorie restricted permanently because when you're heavily calorie restricted like that or like let's just say you're only eating twice a day it's very hard to then go and exercise increase your energy expenditure elicit those adaptations that are going to improve your body composition recover from that and then progress forward if you can't eat to sustain that yeah
0: yeah, it it does seem like a throwing in the towel move to me. Um, it's, and
1: I, do you know? Sorry, that's just unreal. Like I'm go, really passionate yeah, about go this. Go. Yeah. It's actually, and like every time I speak on this, I've done a few posts on it. Several people always come at me. Yeah. But it's always people coming from the same position, and I have literally seen males and like taller, bigger males. And the reason why I say that is because when you are a taller, bigger male and you have a big structure and your energy demands are going to be higher and also yep. your hormonal profile is going to be more affected by that. But yep. Yep. females are same. like this is not good either way. But these doctors and the health system recommends this as an avenue to people that it should not be recommended to. And the reason why they do it is because the surgeries cost a lot of money, and it's a good earner for them. If someone is so obese that they cannot get out of bed, and so they're going to have the surgery, otherwise they will die, okay, that's fine. If someone is slightly obese, and still has the ability to exercise and eat, to me it's off the table. There should be more resources put, more funding, more resources, more education yeah. put into getting these people exercising and eating well. And I, it's just I, so, com- sorry to keep going, but it's so yeah. common. To sur- like you think that surgery was super uncommon. It's not. It's being pushed on people and it's being pushed on people that actually aren't that obese and it's a permanent change. I've literally seen people firsthand have the surgery and they eat and they eat a little bit more than what they're supposed to and they physically throw it up because it can't get through their digestive tract permanently, you know? Yeah,
0: that's not a good game to play and the long-term health consequences of regular vomiting will also play another factor, but what I'd put on that is it's... It's a simple case of a surgical intervention in a context that's not appropriate. The issue is not a mechanical issue. The issue is a psychological and mm. uh, you can dig yourself a bit of a uh, a chemical feedback hole uh, mm. that, like, for sure, it's, it's not just uh, motivation, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that in an obese situation... You're, you've, you're down a feedback loop mm. that is going to keep pushing you down there. So it's a very hard one to get out of, mm. but it's not a surgical issue. Uh, it's, as an example of the guy that he may be so obese, he can't get out of bed. Guess what? That guy also can't get out of bed to go do the shopping mm. to get the food. So whoever's helping that person continue to eat in such gross excess that that should be the question so mm-hmm. direct more funding towards uh perhaps food psychology. yeah food psychology understanding food um and before a step like that you think you just send not send but uh, encourage a sort of camp where you go away and you spend a month and you've got people there assisting on the food psychology side and it's mm-hmm. a a controlled tapering down diet not a hardcore cut diet but essentially slowly encouraging that's better behaviors that can lead them to the long-term healthy lifestyle but Mm. it's a it is eating too much is primarily a psychological Mm. issue it's just also fed in by these other uh neurochemical reward pathways Mm. um it's not a mechanical issue, though, so why is a mechanical thing of changing your digestive, like, actual size? I imagine it's, are they narrowing the pipe size and decreasing the actual stomach mm-hmm. volume? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's not why people are obese. Um, and that's why you have mm-hmm. extra side effects. Um, yes, I, I passionately well, do there's, agree there's, that's, there's that just that a lot is a real that... issue goes into
1: it right like for example if you're a male you obviously want to have optimal testosterone levels to feel good and function well as a man you know not just get stronger and build tissue just function just feel strong as a man and in a, a good thing fam- yeah and and um, female <laughs> yeah. testosterone
0: and female equally important um, mm. just to drive that home sorry yeah. carry on
1: i think the reason why i was saying male specifically is i feel mentally they suffer significantly when their testosterone's low. I'm sure females, if there's a zip, like, they do as well.
0: Uh, I just... so I, I'll i actually chip in a tiny bit on that. Mm. So uh, this is the f- very, uh, a lot of more feminist type speakers talk about mm. this, but for the most part, we manipulate female hormones and throw it all over the place with little care for mental health. Mm. Um, the, the difference between the male and the female population when it comes to... Uh, their hormones affecting feeling well, is that we just seem to give less fucks about the females not mm-hmm. feeling well. So that is why we're over-prescribing the pill all the time, even though mm-hmm. we know that it is having mental health concerns and physical issues. It's it's just something that's kind of become ingrained into culture. Like, ah, oh, you, might, you might feel a little bit off, but um, you're guaranteed not to get pregnant. And mm-hmm. so that's the... ultimate um viewed as positive trade-off but i i would highly emphasize that uh i think females are just as sensitive Mm -hmm. on their hormonal balance it's just they're more used to the fluctuations and more Mm -hmm. used to dismissing the issue much like in a male we are more used to dismissing physical injuries for example like Mm -hmm. within a male culture it's more common to say i got a gash in my leg whatever i'm going to it's oh hell i mm. think we have the similar thing with hormonal profiles and females where they're like "Ah, i'm not feeling good this month or the last couple months but you know i'm sure it'll be fine
1: mm. i feel you're you're absolutely dead right i agree 100 percent with what you've said um i guess the reason sometimes i'm just hesitant to talk on like mm. females specifically yeah. um I don't really know what it is if it's well uh, because
0: in, we are not females yeah so i think there is an important consideration there
1: but and um, also like even just going down the rabbit hole of like the prescription of the pill and or what all that entails yeah. i try not to get into that too much just because yeah. uh, i don't know i'll get myself in trouble or i don't
0: know uh, i would definitely get in <laughs> well, trouble i feel like i'm uh, just more is, validated
1: uh validated speaking about like yes myself a little, but yep. do you know what in saying that i've had Actually, all the time in terms of their cycle, that's something I'm dealing with clients on. But the the weight loss surgery and that in particular, that's also something yes. I've had to problem solve. And yes. that's the one thing I really struggle to work around with people. Uh, yeah. I on a, I would pride myself. I'm not the most intelligent um, coach or just exercise professional out there, but I, would, I pride myself in my ability to work through things with people and problem solve. Yeah um and it is very difficult problem solving when people can't eat well
0: yeah you would say perhaps it's patience and iterations is how you um you are able to navigate through problems effectively
1: yeah absolutely but the the point being is that someone who struggles with binging and eats out two three four times a week or just really struggles with binging i can i can work with that we can make small steps in the right direction. I can have conversations with them about their psychology around their food. I can give them more food to make sure they're more satiated so hopefully they feel like binging less. Um, I can play around with their training programming and their energy output uh, to figure out how we can mitigate the binging. When someone's had a surgery pushed on them that they've been told is a great idea, that they then can only eat a stupidly small amount of food. It's, it's hard. That's yeah. it's it's one of the things I find real difficult, and I try my best, but yeah, it's a losing. Yeah. The problem is you're putting yourself in a forever losing situation that's hard to navigate around.
0: Yeah, I suppose at that point, um, trying to think about it in a proactive way, uh, you'd have to consider getting in those nutrients is will also be in a modified manner so instead of taking the standard approach i imagine things like taking as much fiber in it's just Mm. not an option um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the approaches of things like more processed proteins and like say a protein shake um that is a better option in that situation because it's not coming along with all this extra volume that will create issues in that.
1: Um, I think someone, do you think someone who's struggled with their weight that much and just has, doesn't have much knowledge on food and mm -hmm. was so desperate that they got a surgery. Do you think they're going to be able to implement a consistent protein supplementation regime and and figure out their food sources to work around that?
0: yeah it's clearly an aftercare issue too um Mm. like how much guidance are these people getting posted and that's so that's there's so many ethical questions Mm. going on in that i think um but uh i yeah i just say it's all of a sudden you've got a different situation you've now got a modified human and the dietary inputs of how you solve that that diet would have to be modified and uh right now, my perspective on that would that's it, sad um mm. like it, it's not a you've now limited options not made more options available, and that is the opposite of living a good life um mm. yeah no that is good <laughs> <Heavy>. <laughs>
1: yeah uh um, no, it just it winds me up like i just yeah it's just yeah a, it's a it's a sector of uh i guess a health and yeah well health um i guess sector that yeah it's literally just a money thing
0: yeah i i very much view uh i can be critical of our medical sector uh essentially it has some very strong advantages of being very good at mechanical Mm -hmm. issues like surgeries and such like without having those so we have gained so much quality of life in being able to go in and mechanically fix a broken limb or something Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, And then also the pharma industry has been amazing for developing new drugs. Um, Mm -hmm. But both of those kind of come at the cost where I think we're seeing excessive uh, keenness to introduce mechanical fixes to not Mm -hmm. always mechanical problems. Um, So AKA trying to perform surgery on problems that, shouldn't necessarily have surgery performed on them or maybe it shouldn't be at that port of call like maybe it's a down the road choice to bring in surgery um and then in the case of pharma it comes at the cost of them also trying to cramp out any other solutions that are not their specific drug it's not even like they're saying all non-drug solutions are bad that what the pharma approaches um and I don't think anyone could call me out as being incorrect. And this is what they're saying is any drug that is not our drug that we produced is not the one. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's just, that's financial incentives and biases at play. But if we consider those when we go and interface with them, and we, when we go to interact with, say, pharma to get, uh, say, a powerful painkiller, which mm. has a valuable role in life. Uh it it certainly has its place. Acknowledge it, use it for what it is, but then also acknowledge where their biases may encourage your use in the wrong direction. Mm. And if you do the same with surgery interventions and so forth, mm. then I think we can have a very healthy balance of getting the best out of pharma and um, you know, surgical medical practices, etc. Mm-hmm.
1: I think in terms of the weight loss surgery, but also other things, I would just encourage people to just look for more sustainable avenues. And if you've gone to someone for help, like a trainer or a coach or a physio or whatever, and you've had a bad experience, first of all, that's shit. And I'm sorry that you had that experience. But try not to let that deter you from looking for a better option and just defaulting to, I guess the quick fix. And I literally had someone do this with me the other day. I've been looking for people to help me with my hip. And I went to probably one of the, I guess the best, just one of the top people in their field in the country in terms of rehab and, um, physical performance and stress management and pain management. And he literally told me, I think you need to take a step back and get a second opinion from a different surgeon. Because Mm. I went to this one person, they've given me opinion I think they're kind of right I've taken what they've said as gospel and my whole focus is in what that one person has said and it might actually not be entirely correct so like this person encouraged me to do take a step back take a breather don't be discouraged by what's gone wrong and the and the bad experiences keep pushing forward keep trying to problem solve keep trying to find the best solution
0: yeah, and uh, it's easy for us all to fall into that um, thing of like you latch your teeth into what you think is ah yes this is the way, mm. but in reality at the very least there are multiple ways to everything. Mm. Um, so yeah, I agree on that flexibility. Um, do we? We could basically round wrap up. I reckon around here. This is <laughs> um, this was not the conversation I had I expected like, to get into, but. With... I knew, I,
1: thoroughly enjoyed it we had three topics and just only really come to the first and that was it <laughs>
0: yeah but um in reality i think we've solved more issue or um it, it's been valuable discussion and thinking point for me more oh. than scattering across a, like a, a sprinkle of multiple topics oh. so um i've thoroughly enjoyed that i think it's good perspective on the surgery on the stomach surgery side because it's not something i engage with a lot and so i wasn't aware of the uh scale at which like the number of people having this and quite how restrictive the surgery was um and yeah yeah and hopefully i'm gonna feed this onto oj and we will get his opinions on things too mm-hmm. um and he has good opinions um Is there anything else, any questions you had or anything I can cover before we wrap up?
1: No, I think that was pretty good. I think we touched on some training stuff at the start there. Um, And I think in summary, like I would say um, to pretty much everyone, just with your training, if you are trying to get better, if you are trying to reap more progress, figure out your objective, have a plan, and then base your exercises and the way you execute those exercises on that objective. Um, And then with the surgery stuff, I don't know. It's hard. People get desperate. People make uh hastily decisions. But just keep trying to find a better way, a more optimal way. Think about your longevity. Think about your family. Um, think about how you can live your your absolute best life. Live your best life. It's so cringe, but uh, I know what it I know what it feels like to be super overweight. I know what it feels like to be unhappy about that, and it's shit. And the way you solve that problem is by exercising to a high standard and eating a lot of good food. Yeah.
0: Yep. I think that's a good wrap up. Um, we should probably state one quick disclaimer is that we're not medical professionals Mm. and we're not providing medical advice or anything along those lines. And just keep in mind, like we have a limited experience set. Um, I am very much in the supplementation world. Campbell's very much in the diet and nutrition and training world. Um, There is undoubtedly more to the surgical issues um, like to that problem than what we're discussing. But I think it's good thinking points. And that's Mm. where I'd encourage to take this conversation as thinking points. Mm. Cool? Sweet. I have to say that because I do get so many messages where people take things and yeah oh, i already know direction. bro I'm, I'm as soon as this comes out yeah it's
1: probably gonna be it's probably gonna be the most viewed thing we've ever done because it's controversial probably. and i'm yeah. sure i'm gonna get messages in my dms but come at me it's all good
0: yeah and <laughs> i think it's it's a come come i'm i'd happily talk about these things uh, just from a simple philosophical mm. point of view too it's a come at me we understand that life is hard and you get into tough positions and if mm. someone thinks that this is the right way it's not a I'm going to fight you on this. Mm. It's a, Hey, look, I, I would encourage thinking about this another way, but you live your own life and I Mm. would fully respect the shit out of that. But Mm. please don't. And don't, don't pretend things aren't what they are Mm. Um, or, or because you've done something, then go around telling other people, uh, the, the rose tinted glasses view. Because I think you get this, um, this is a standard, I'm going to touch on religion now. Um, we're hitting the things, but standard things is that if you're a part of a religion, Mm. um, sometimes there can be a little bit of an extra push of like, I am a part of this and therefore other people should also, um, because of the personal investment and, uh, I encourage separation from the personal investment, points. Mm. And, um, if someone wants to be a part of a religion, they should be part of it because that religion is valuable in itself, mm. not because the person who is like, not because another person's a part of it. So like, do things for the valuable thing in itself.
1: Mm. Um, and I'm very glad you made that point because obviously this whole topic triggers me a little bit, Yeah, but the reason why it triggers me is because I've had a lot of first-hand experiences with it, but exactly because of what you just said, Mm. is there is people out there that have had the surgery and they're promoting it. Yeah. And that is where the buck stops.
0: I guess, um, and they're promoting it whilst dealing with the negative consequences and not discussing Mm -hmm. the negative consequences.
1: Yeah, and they're speaking from a place... As well you just gave the disclaimer before which was obviously fair but they're speaking of a place of absolutely no experience in solving the problem whatsoever you know
0: yeah 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 i agree it's it's um jumping jumping the gun to it a little bit too much okay i think that's a good rap laura's hmm. eating cereal right next to me now as yeah. you can probably yeah there's extreme respect there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're wrapping up, we're right. up. It's, it's, it's our fault for being chatty kathy's and yeah. other people can enjoy cereal eating like god yeah. that it's probably the wrong thing to eat lightning's <laughs> out when they're back yeah. into this conversation um <laughs> anyway right it's it's Rice's. No, you have a it's... statement on Rice's campbell no I'll,
1: I'll i'll leave my opinion on that i get getting too much <laughs> trouble i think it's
0: garbage
1: anyway yeah.
0: okay um Okay, we'll wrap. Uh, I will stop this. We'll probably... You love